0: Welcome to Paytech Talk, the podcast of payment technology
1: law, brought to you by the dedicated lawyers at Aderholt Munich. With Paytech Talk, you get the latest trends and topics and experience the world of payment, banking and IT. Hi,
2: this is Frank. Welcome to the first episode of Paytech Talk, the podcast of payment technology law. I am at the Money 2020 in Copenhagen and my today's guests are Susanne Grohe, former PayPal director legal, Germany, Austria and Switzerland, who will join our team at Aderholt in October this year, and the famous David Breer, who is considered one of the world's top fintech leaders. Today, I would like to get insights on how long we will continue to pay in cash, the most commonly used payment method in 2025, identity as a service and, of course, the Brexit. David, it is a great honor to having you as our first guest on PayTech Talk. For the few people who might not know who you are, would you be so kind and introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, So, David Breer, uh, my background is pretty varied, I've worked in as many angles of financial services as I could, uh, to get to the point where I sort of understood it well enough. So, um, I'm now the CEO of a little company called 11FS and we do various different things from running fun podcasts to building new banks. David, you're considered one of
2: the world's top fintech leaders. Therefore, I would like to take a quick look ahead into the future of payments. Why don't you let us know your thoughts on how long will we continue to pay
1: in cash? Um, Sorry, I love answering questions with a question, which is always good fun. So the, the idea of um, like globally... I think it's going to take a while so we're going to be paying with cash for a long time in in various different places you know there's lots of uh not developing countries because actually the developing countries are, are moving f- much faster than some of what you would consider developed um ironically i'd say somewhere in like the us pa- uh, cash is going to be around for a long long time um europe probably going to be around for a long long time Um, but actually when you start moving out into sort of Africa and India and China then the revolution has already actually happened you know we're seeing upwards of 70 75 percent of all of the transactions that are happening there now they're being digital or digital payments so it kind of feels like the revolution is kind of happening it's just not happening in the places that are getting all the media attention so I'd say China Africa India I'd give it five years and then we're seeing 95 I'd say on, on there's always gonna be edge cases but given all the things that they're doing to remove uh, frauds to move any particular um, um, sort of um, creation of fake currency then those guys are really really ahead of the curve uh, places where they think they're being innovative are going to take a lot more to a lot more time to actually be innovative right
2: so why do you think um, cash payments in, in uh, India and, and uh, China and, and Africa is, uh, on such a low rate, and, and mobile payment and other pay- cashless payments is, is, has a huge market share.
1: Why? Is, wh- what is the reason for that? Well, if, you, if your government mandates it overnight, that kind of helps. So, like in India, like they literally overnight mandated using a, a payments mechanism. If you you know you take out of circulation that amount of cash, and actually you get to a situation where the the only safe alternative is using something like n then actually that. That does it, right? Um, so for us, it's kind of if you start seeing people mandating moving to this type of technology, and you start seeing like wholesale benefit of doing it. So if you look at something like the the explosion of uh, mobile payments in China, with through things like WeChat, or you know the the rise of what we're seeing with Alipay kind of globally, then it, it feels like um, you know real wholesale benefits of doing it. Then actually you start to get adoption. You know in the UK we've seen um, things like you know contactless payments significantly take off because it dramatically reduces the amount of time you have to spend on the you know f- fumbling around for a bit of paper on the tube and that's a really good thing to do um, but you know all the things that get all of the the press the Apple pays the, the Android pays the you know the guys from Samsung are here the Samsung pay stuff there's not enough material benefit actually in the payment process to make it a better alternative to what you've got today um, you know security is marginally better but the the experience is worse um, so you know I think plastic will be around for a, a long time cash will be around for a long time. Time, um, because really, until they make a, a significantly better experience, then why would you change?
2: Right. What do you think? What will be the most commonly used payment method in 2025? Uh,
1: 2025 isn't actually that far away, right? And you know, I think uh, you know the banks that we talk to who are still putting in strategies for 2020 are kind of almost uh, you know you've started five years too late to probably deliver something by 2020. So um, I kind of feel like by 2025. Uh, contactless payments will, will be the still be the biggest push. Uh, mobile payments are going to be getting bigger, um, but I still think contactless payments by 2025 will be the the biggest payment method.
2: And talking about the next big thing, what will
1: it be for the fintech industry? <laughs> Uh, like the i wish there was just one right there was, there's just so many things to be uh, sort of moving into and actually I, I think the the thing is that in big categories as well so if you look at things like blockchain blockchains actually about 100 different things in in that category whether it be smart contracts or distributed ledger technology or kind of all of the things that kind of go in go in the mix there similar for people sort of bucket artificial intelligence but artificial intelligence is like 100 different disciplines of uh, activity so so for me i'd say you know, machine learning is going to be huge. Uh, I'd, I'd say that's going to be one angle. That's going to be probably the most productive in the shortest time frame. Um, just because, again, you know, banks have been sitting on so much data for so long and been talking about it being either the unique advantage or the you know the secret source, but never really reach the potential with it. Whereas machine learning actually allows them to start really unlocking the potential of that data. Okay. Um, so I think for the big banks, and actually even for the fintechs that help them unlock the the treasure trove that is big data, uh, I think that will come along quicker.
0: David mentioned earlier um, uh, machine learning. I was, I was thinking risk systems that are actually learning already, kind of study your behavior. Unfortunately, the, the, the European regulators um, aren't taking this into account. They basically have the two-factor authentication and that's the security standards they want. Um, and I wonder what's your take on that? Do you think that's, that's putting us backward in Europe or is this just fueling innovation in a different way?
1: Um, I, I think it will be you know regulation is always a, an inhibitor to a certain degree because you can only you know play within the rules and if there are no rules then you're you're playing an, a, an exercise point of getting the regulators to be educated in the subject matter, and you know, particularly in uh, from a machine learning, AI, uh, anything to sort of do with DLT really, you know, it's kind of a, you're almost at the bar of knowledge to say what you can and can't do. Um, but on the plus side, I'm seeing most of the regulators being really, really open to learning. Um, you know, we've we've seen the the days gone by of kind of people sort of saying here's the black and white rule book and this is this is kind of what you can and can't do. Um, and moving to something where actually the the regular get, regulator gets much more uh, comfort in the processes, the consistency of action, the even to the advice that a customer is actually getting, um, all of these things that can be brought from automation or or in you know AI, that feels like a good place to move towards. I don't say it's not going to be bumpy. You know, I think we're going to get really. Um, there's probably going to be some things that'll happen that the regulator is maybe okay with now that they won't be okay with in uh, you know, six months, nine months, whatever. Um, but hey, that's what happens in financial services, right? We, we're sort of pushing the boundaries continually and moving things forward because um, if we don't do it, a startup on the edge of regulation will be, right? We've uh, seen it in every other industry and financial services is no different.
0: Um, and and a totally unrelated. Um, what do you think about instant pay? Is it a, a threat to card themes? Is it um, you know is it is it an advantage for banks or is it basically making them a commodity? Um, I
1: don't think that's the thing that makes a bank a commodity. You know, I think there are a bunch of like becoming a commodity is a is a choice, right? You know, I, I kind of think uh, you know the the payment systems are, around that won't be the won't be the nail in the coffin on that one. I think predominantly it'll be a lack of innovation around what the customer product actually is. So if you stop innovating around the experiences that you're delivering to people, then somebody's going to start using you as rails to actually start creating those services. So uh, so from my perspective, you know, again, any sort of standard standardisation across the uh, you know the the industry is is a good thing because actually it forces people to to actually keep innovating and keep moving things forward but you know the rubber hits the road with psd2 with all the kind of things that kind of come through because the ability to do nothing anymore is is kind of going away so with things like this where anybody can pick it up and start using it or when there's a you know a bunch of apis sitting out there that anybody who's uh, got a, a you know base level of capability can pick up something and create a, a really good compelling experience then you know that all sounds good to me I'm, I'm all for competition and innovation. It sounds good. Yeah, I agree. So, what do you think? What if, well, I have
2: to ask it. Break the Brexit topic. What do you think? Oh, it's how? That low, dude, like, we were <laughs> friends then. Yeah. So, do you do you think that Brexit will have any effect on the financial
1: industry in in the UK? Um, I think it already has. I think this is the sad thing. I think the U.K. did a really, really, you know, the, the FCA did a phenomenal job to kind of get us into the position from a uh, regulatory perspective, actually fostering innovation. And, and actually, uh, you know, f- the big banks still have those problems that they had before kind of all of this, the, the fintech wave coming. Uh, we were definitely a, a magnet for not just you know UK companies starting interesting fintech, regtech, insurtech, blah, 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 blah. Um, but actually we were a magnet across Europe, across the globe for doing that. I, I think that that sort of magnetism is definitely waning a little bit. You know, we've seen it in some of the investment changes that have happened in the UK that, you know, uh, the sort of VCs are not as bullish as the potential for UK companies and I, and I think until we've got some certainty on actually what Brexit means, despite apparently Brexit meaning Brexit meaning Brexit meaning whatever the hell that means, then um, you know I think we'll get to the point where we've got some clarity to understand whether it's a problem or not but very similar to investors, you know, if you any uncertainty, any sort of uh, you know fear that there might be a thing, and the, all of the the kind of opaqueness of what actually it will mean, um, that's the problem. You know, you start to see doubt in the, the the investment cycle, and then actually you start to see talent moving away, and you start to see all of the the sort of changes that happen. And places like uh, you know Zurich and Amsterdam and Paris, and you know everybody's kind of um, welcoming fintech with open arms because. Uh, you you know the uh, European regulations are the U- European regulations really, and there's a there's a reason why you know the whole whether it be Singapore or the US, you know there's a, a big reason why everybody's trying to emulate everything that's happened in Europe. So um, I, I think it will have a, a big impact, but it has how big? I think only unfortunately waiting and seeing is going to tell us. Thank you. Happy uh, to keep going. Where if you've got any more questions. This is fun. I, this is like the most energetic I felt all two days. I, like, like literally, you caught me like 10 minutes after drinking a Red Bull, so I'm like, I can go for hours,
0: hours. Okay, now. <laughs> so um, the RTS strong customer authentication. There, there are many, there are many different methods. What do you think is the one that that's gonna probably pull through? Biometrics, or is it? Is good, you know, there's something we don't know yet. Um,
1: I, I, it's always easy to go with something I don't know yet that catch yeah. that would be fun but um, I, you know I, I think there are so many different the, the one that's the least I hate to use the Uber example because it's like tried now but like the least friction for doing these things with the highest amount of security which you know biometrics especially if you're using multi-factor across different uh, you know points you know if I'm using like I was with the Bioconnect guys earlier on who showed me five different variations of uh, of, um, biometric authentication capability which when I can actually access all of those things through a device that I carry around with me literally like 99.9% of my life then that feels like not only using uh, uh, sort of um, bio authentication capability but then using your mobile as the centre point for all of your financial life, then that's I, I, where I'll sort of see it going. You know, I'm sure mobile phones will disappear in like 25 years or something and it will be something else um, but until then I think using bio into your mobile phone and then using that for the linchpin of your you know your uh, internet banking your obviously your mobile banking and dare i say it, the branch experience that you might want to have at any sort of given touch point as well as the authentication method that you want to be using for any uh, non-trivial payment capability um, even down to the point where we you know where we're talking about the difference between um, authentication to gain access and then using it for authentication against identity yeah. i think mobile will continue to be the center point of all of that interaction do you, do you think uh well at some point of time we'll have a a
2: part of the industry uh, a product that's uh, identity as a service or such kind of thing because it's not only for the AML procedures but identities like well that's you so do you think that's going to be a product or or, or service providers to
1: provide uh, identity as a service? Um, I I would say at least like a couple of hundred companies are looking at it now and not just sort of little startups that you never heard of but like big tier one banks because um, you know the banks have sort of woken up to the fact that their old revenue models are great but they're definitely diminishing it when you've got new players coming in and giving away that stuff for free so you know identity is such a center point not just for your financial life but literally your life. Uh, you know, whether it be about authentication into a, an en- energy supplier or you know a new mobile phone or whatever it n- needs to be, then using that as a um, you know a, a service and actually you know banks, if anything, they're they're very very good at sort of the trust of holding something and retaining it. So identity in that sense would be a you know a natural point for those guys to start really sort of getting involved. I think it's going to be an interesting one. Is um, and we've we've seen this with some of the um, the pitches actually in the UK for some of the providers that were in. Uh, like, who would you, if I was a a bank, you know, a blue bank customer, and the the red bank was suddenly, you know giving global identity capability, then uh, would I, you know, I trust my bank, do I trust another bank? And I, I think there's a lot of nuances in this, whether a bank would be the best people and that have the best brand to do this. I think they've definitely got it from a, a technological perspective and from an aspirational perspective, they've definitely got it as well. Um, but um, nice. whether a, a big technology supplier would be better placed to do that type of thing than a bank um, is, yeah, we'll have to wait and see on that one.
0: One of the things that many people raised is, and it, it kind of goes again into the, the commodity question that I raised earlier, you know, look at an Amazon Echo. Um, I order something, I say, uh, Alexa, blah, 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 send me the book, and, and it, or play me this, and, and then I buy it from Audible, or whatever. I, I sometimes I just don't remember what type of payment instrument I have actually with Amazon, right? Yeah. It could be my bank, it could be my credit card, it could be even a bill. I so, have
1: no idea. Like, <laughs> I literally have no idea what credit card underpins my... Amazon account, but I literally spend pretty much every everything through Amazon right now. So, yeah.
0: so thinking about that, it, payment becomes something that you don't care about. It doesn't have a brand name. It you don't care. Yeah. Um, so, if you think along these lines, I mean, now we have a big fintech conference. Is it going to be an Amazon conference? Or, I mean, is it going away? I mean, we will still need the the, the, the pay- somehow the money needs to be moved. But. I
1: don't know. I like. I, I think that um, you know. Banks are doing a pretty good job of being commoditized, right? And, and I think they will wake up to the, um, the owning of the experience uh, problem. Pretty quickly, you know. I think you, you go and talk to people, uh, and they they kind of get that. You know, if they, if they sort of get pushed into that commodity play, it only ends up one way. You know, we've seen this in the insurance market. Those guys kind of um, were pushed into the back, particularly in the UK with things like aggregators. Um, so actually, you you know the product became, i like, say, hugely quantitized around features of the product, which arbitrarily made almost you know, no difference to customers in some instances. We've, we've seen it in financial services when aggregators are sort of ranking credit cards on APR when customers don't understand what APR is. So I, I can kind of see that potentially happening in the payment space. But unfortunately the universal banking model is actually predicated on engagement with the customer so if you don't engage them you can't re- engage a relationship you can't form uh, a sort of a brand bond uh, and then the the sort of uh, you know universal structure of actually how you upsell people into other products you deepen the relationship with people it becomes very 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 difficult to do that if you never see them um, so i think all of those marketplace plays all of the um, the kind of over the top ux's that start to either aggregate or Um, create a uh, kind of a linchpin of a current account and then you do marketplace banking to aggregate other services. I think they're going to be a real big problem for for the banks. Um, But still, I've got a lot of trust in the big banks. They've got all of the money, they've got all of the time, they've still got all of the customers. Um, So I don't think anybody wants to become a commodity. They want to be um, not owning the the experience but actually facilitating the experience for people on a day-to-day basis. David, thank you very much for your time. time. Thank you. Thank you for joining PayTech Talk today. For further information, visit your source for legal and industry-specific insights on payment, banking and IT, and subscribe to our newsletter at paytechlaw.com.